This is greatest hit number six, and it's called Progressing into Leadership. And this episode is from season four, episode eight. Now, what's interesting about this episode is that Kate has actually progressed in her own leadership. So she was the head of King's Careers and Employability, but she's now gone on to be the director of the Careers Group. And she's found the time to author a book called Careers Education to Demystifying Employability. Now, essentially, this book is for careers leaders, careers professionals, and teachers in schools and colleges. And it's about helping them to get more out of the amazing work that they already do for our young people. And it's to help our young people to make decisions about their future and to get more value from their qualifications. So if you work in this space or know anybody who does, then I strongly encourage you and them to grab a copy of this book from Amazon today. Hello and welcome to the Change and Transition podcast with me, your host, Crystal Deborah Ecoli. Now, if you want to progress into leadership or you're very early on in your leadership journey, then you need to listen to this episode. Dr. Kate Dalbany treats us to an episode overflowing with wisdom about how to become a great leader. Now, I've witnessed her leadership and it's tremendous. We touch on areas such as when are you ready for leadership? What does a good leader look like? Is everyone capable of leadership? And more. Enjoy. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Crystal. It's a complete delight to be here. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Good stuff. Not at all. <laughs> so do you want to start by telling us who you are and what you do? I'm very happy to do that. So my name is Kate Daubney and I'm the head of King's Careers and Employability, which is the career service for students at King's College London. Great. Not a very brief. <laughs> it's a very so, long job title, but I got used to saying it very quickly. <laughs> so we know where you are and what you're doing now, but do you want to give us a brief overview of, of your career to date? Absolutely. So I started out as an academic. I got a PhD and I lectured and researched in music in two very different universities. But then I went to live overseas for a couple of years where I did some research and I moved into career development, supporting people like me who'd been globally mobile and wanted to keep their career moving. I've actually had a portfolio of quite different careers. I've been a ghostwriter. I've been an editor. I edited a magazine. I've done a lot of careers work and teaching. And I'm also a voiceover artist. But for most of the last 18 years, in one way or another, I've been working in careers. And for the last five years, I have been ahead of careers. Great. So, wow. So it's quite varied, actually. You've done quite a few different things. A voiceover artist. I think I heard rumours in the office about you doing that. <laughs> How did yeah, you get that? <laughs> That was fun. I got into that because I was living overseas in the States on the East Coast and my accent is quite distinctive if you live on the East Coast of the States. And I was asked to do some narrating of books actually for dyslexic and blind students. And someone said, oh, you know, we've got some other educational projects. So I went off and did a course and set up my own website. You can find me on intelligentvoiceover.com. Where I imitate, you should, I imitate a small monkey in a zoo and I do a very serious public service announcement about serious things. So it's, you do, you do a tape, it's a range of different things that you do. So I mostly do um, non-commercial stuff. So things like audio books and guided tours and educational publishing, that sort of thing. 
Nice. You learn something new every day. Cool. Uh, yes. And you do actually, you're reading books about biology or the history of art. You do literally learn something new every day, which is a great reason to become a voiceover artist. I see. I don't know how you do it all, but... <laughs> <laughs> I could say the same to you, entrepreneur, podcaster, blogger, careers professional, you're doing qualification. I could say exactly the same to you, Crystal. How do you do it all? Hey, I just find the time. I have to. That's it. <laughs> you make the time. It's probably, it's probably one of the things that we'll talk about today, actually, is yes. how long the to-do list can get when you're in any kind of leadership or management role. And you're a leader at the moment. You're leading colleagues through change and peers and friends and clients through change. You have to make time. That's how you get things done. Mm-hmm. That is very true. So the seeing as we're on the topic of leadership, I'm really curious to know, I guess, your journey to leadership. So you've mentioned you've done a few different roles. It's mainly been in careers, but how did you get into leadership? That's a really good question. So I actually came to leadership quite late, relatively speaking. I had had an opportunity to put myself forward to be a leader when I was an academic. But it was just at the time that my academic career was coming to an end and I was about 30, but I was falling out of love with my career. And I thought it will be really hard to learn to be a leader and a manager at the same time as kind of trying to come to terms with the fact that my identity and my professional identity and my relationship with my research was really changing in quite a negative way. And I just thought, you know, don't be daft. That's putting yourself in a difficult position. So I went off and did a load of other things. I had a portfolio career of doing all sorts of stuff. And, and then 15 years later, when I was in my mid-40s, an opportunity came up and I'd been working in careers in universities for a bit. And I just thought, if I don't do this now, I will never know if I can manage and lead or not. And I was just very lucky that on the interview panel for the director of careers at the University of Chester were two people who saw potential in me and thought, let's give her a go. And so I owe an enormous amount to two people seeing my potential when I hadn't yet realized it myself. And I do actually think that's part of leadership management. And I might talk about that a bit later is part of the joy of that is seeing that potential in other people. And you lead and you manage by developing that in other people. Okay, so if people saw your potential, and so you took this role, and this was your first role. So could you just tell us about what that was like? scary I think I don't think I was ready actually I was so surprised to be appointed (laughs) I don't think I was ready for leadership I personally think that humility is quite a key feature of successful leadership so I think if you said to me were you ready for this I would say no I think what I was ready for was to try leadership and I think that that's actually quite an important mindset I think in this day and age when it's quite easy to pick anything up and read about anything there's a lot of pressure to feel that you're ready And I think a more practical attitude is to say, am I ready to try? So I was very lucky that I had a good friend of mine who had been a very successful leader and manager in their own right, said to me just before I started at Chester, when you walk into the room on the first day, walk in as if you know what you're doing and why. She said, it doesn't matter if actually you don't, but you do need to show people that they can have confidence that you will face decisions and that you will make them. And I think what I realized quickly was I was ready to have a go at doing that because actually I'm a pretty indecisive person. I'm the sort of person who has three lots of clothes in the morning and then puts one on and then puts another one on. And I had to make a step up to being more decisive as an example. So I was ready to try. And that was my journey in was I was interested in seeing what that meant for me and how that would challenge and develop me and what I would have to learn to do differently. And I think I just reached a phase in my career where I was ready to do that. Yeah. I see. Hmm. 
So it's just making me think of so many other questions, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anything you Ask like. Anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, so you stepped into this role, you were given some great advice, but things wouldn't have been, have been perfect, I'm guessing, especially as it was your first role. So were there any errors that you made during that time? Yes. I mean, I think there are. And I think if you don't put your hand up to that, that's a mistake from the outset. And I remember actually when I came to King's, I was asked quite early on by a colleague to make a decision about something. And I said no. And they were sort of a bit resistant to that. And I said, look, I reserve the right to change my mind. I don't have enough information right now to say yes. So I'm going to say no, pending having more information to say yes. And I think putting your hand up and being willing to show your growth, to show your flexibility. I think people think that sometimes leadership has to be very clear and decisive and, you know, very omnidirectional. So I think probably there are lots of lessons that I learned and probably quite a lot of mistakes. I think early on, you're quite frightened of making mistakes. And I think... I'm never worried about that as a mindset. I think careers is a growth mindset. I think working in the sector that you and I work in means helping people understand that there are always many routes to the same outcome. And sometimes if you end up in a different outcome, that's okay. So I think I've been lucky to bring that mindset in. Let me think about, maybe there's two examples of things where I wish I'd known sooner. So one of those was about compromising. So I'm quite a natural at compromising But it took me quite a while to understand that in a leadership situation, a compromise isn't necessarily a step down, but it's also a platform for the next step up. So I think if you see compromises only ever backing down from something that you wanted and and seeing things as rigid and unchanging, means that you don't allow for the fact that a huge amount is going to have changed by the time you've actually got whatever that compromise was up and running. And I think related to that is a lesson about owning my own discomfort. I believe a lot in transparency. And and I think when you lead a team, you have a responsibility to be as transparent as you possibly can about what's going on around, how challenging that can be to navigate. And I think while maintaining confidentiality, obviously, is really important. I get told lots of stuff that I can't pass on. I think actually it's easier for colleagues to see why things take a long time or why they might be going off a bit of a tangent, if you can be honest. But I think what I haven't done very well and what I didn't realize I needed to do very early was sometimes to say, this is difficult for me. I believe quite strongly in kind of holding the umbrella, the protective umbrella up over my team. But actually, you know, to extend the metaphor, that's quite hard on your arms after a while. If there's a lot of stuff falling and there's a lot of stuff, you know, you're out there in a howling gale of unpredictability. And it's not so much about not showing weakness, but I've come to realize that under certain circumstances saying this is difficult for me too is quite helpful for other people because they can calibrate how bad it is, how difficult it is. Whereas if you kind of keep saying it's fine, it's fine all the time, that's not necessarily very helpful. It can sometimes feel contradictory with the message that, you know, the ceiling might be falling in somewhere. So I think those were two things that I learned less quickly than I would like to have done. One's about compromising and the other is admitting when it's difficult. Now that sounds interesting to me because the kind of view of leadership that I think most people have is that the leader knows everything. The leader doesn't show any sort of weakness to some extent or letting people know that they actually don't really know, but they're doing their best. So it's really interesting to hear you say that because it's not necessarily what I expected. Yeah, and I think that is one very successful model of leadership. I'm kind of curious about the relationship between leadership and management because 
I think that not every leader is a great manager. And I suspect that sometimes a scenario you're describing where you've got someone who's very clear about what's happening, they're not experiencing it through their team. And I think what you do often find is that most great managers are also good leaders because while they have a clear vision and a sense of direction, actually getting other people to join you in that and put their energy behind you is about helping them see themselves reflected in what's going on. And I think if you separate yourself off and say, I'm over here and I do it this way and everybody else has got to run along behind, I think that's the opposite, actually, of enabling people to grow. My definition of leadership includes making other people leaders. I believe in a lot of peer leadership and peer management. I give colleagues a lot of autonomy in the team. But I do believe that it's about enabling people from behind. It's enabling them to see how your leadership vision is shaped by everybody's work as well as how it shapes their work. And that's how individuals in the team make it happen, not me. And if I can't empower and enable people to do that, it doesn't matter how loud I am at the front of the queue because other people can't see anything that we might want to do through their work and in their work. Mm, yeah, that's definitely something I've seen. <laughs> you, give, you give us a lot of autonomy <laughs> to just create. I mean, you know, I'm, I love being creative and finding problems and solving them. And, and I have felt that I've been able to do that effectively and grow quite a lot as well from the support around me. So I want to thank you for that. Um. No, not at all. And actually, I think you make a really good point there. And I think this is how you, anybody can help other people to lead, whether they're a leader or a manager or not, is that whole idea about bring me a solution, don't bring me a problem, which is giving people the space and the thought to think, what can I do here? And how can I do it? So a lot of people, I think, you, you know, you, you talked about that model of leadership. There's a lot of why. Why are we doing it this way? Here's my grand vision. Actually, most people are very bogged down in the how can we get that done? And I think you make that really good point about having the space to figure the hows out. And for me, that's leadership. That's giving other people the space to do that so that, you know, I want to be led by you, Crystal. I want to know you have expertise and perspective on problems that we need to solve as a team that I don't have. It would be useless if I went kind of rushing in saying, let's do it this way. And you're sitting there thinking, she doesn't know everything she needs to know here. So I very much believe in that sense of empowering everybody to lead in that way. Hmm. So you've spoken about leadership in your your eyes. It's making leaders. But where did that perspective come from? I think for me, I was really fortunate to quite understated points in my career to work in two quite small organizations that were both run by great women leaders. I've been incredibly fortunate. They were quite different people, but they had a couple of things in common. One was that they had traveled really widely, both of them, and met a lot of different people. But as part of that, I think they allowed themselves to be continually challenged by the people they met to see things differently. And they were both really good at saying, what does that look like from another point of view? And what do I need to do differently to make that happen? And they were really, really confident about saying, I don't know everything I need to know. And so they both had to steer their different organizations that I was working in with them at the time through quite difficult periods, it's quite tight financial situations, sort of environmental uncertainties, staff changes. And this is really critical for me personally. Neither of them was hugely extrovert. They had great personalities and they could hold the room when they needed to. But it was never about them. It was always about us. 
the group of people that were working together and and, you know you could argue that's easier to do in a small group of people but actually I think if you've brought everybody with you and everybody feels part of what's going on and they see how it relates to what they're doing I think that's very powerful so to replicate the ways of either of those fantastic leaders that I was privileged to work with I have tried to replicate how I felt working for them and with them and tried to replicate that in how I've built the culture in my team. So I have been really fortunate, I think, in that respect to, to work with these two people who I just felt energized to work with. Actually, they were great people to work with. Yeah, I think it, that's helpful to know because when you have good leaders around you, you see it. And I think thinking about how they, they make you feel is yeah. a really good way to navigate it. Mm, yeah, and I might, <laughs> well, I might flip that round and say, actually, I've had, unfortunately, my fair share of quite challenging leadership and management experiences and and work with people who perhaps didn't get that right. And I think it's quite easy to be demoralized by it before you realize that there's some learning available from it. You know, it'd be quite easy to flip it around and say, they did this, never do that. But actually, it's about understanding why is it that that was the kind of approach that they took to that thing how is it that you make sure that doesn't happen if that's something that you think is not only important to you but also important to other people so as a kind of classic introvert which I am I draw a lot of energy out of myself to keep everything moving I'm not a comfortable public presenter so I have to work quite hard at all of those things watching someone else do that and think okay what can I learn from that I think that's quite an important part of this yeah yeah and I think it's interesting that you've mentioned how you've recognized what you are naturally are and what you've had to develop and grow in order to lead. Yes. And understanding that not all those pairs of shoes are comfortable. You know, I am not a natural walking in high heels and there are kind of metaphorical aspects of this job (laughs) that are about walking in high heels and I can see them coming and I know what they look like. I talk about putting on an extrovert's overcoat to get an introvert's job done. You know, I I do think that there are parts of, of any job and I think this is particularly true around leadership. I don't know whether I subscribe to the idea that people are born leaders. What I think some people are very good at is making it look easy. Mm. And that's sometimes the thing you have to practice is what are the techniques and behaviors and approaches I need to bring here? And how do I then make that look easy so other people can't see the join at Mm. times when I might find it easier? So then, okay, so potentially could it be that some people are, are actually not leaders, as in they may not be able to lead? I don't know. I subscribe quite strongly to the view that if you can learn to be a good manager, you can become a great leader. I think it's much harder the other way around. As I said, I think not every natural leader is a great manager. I think there is something about putting yourself in someone else's shoes that makes you a great manager. And I don't think everybody finds that equally easy to do. I think as a careers professional, as an educator, I strongly believe that everybody has the potential to become everything. It's, you know, you might rule some things out for all sorts of reasons, but it's like saying, well, you know, people are born with attributes. No, they're not. Most attributes you develop through practice and and exploration. You know, no 16-year-old is born with leadership, you know, innately in them. But these people go on and become incredible, you know, policymakers and leaders of important social change movements and entrepreneurs. They develop that stuff. But I do think you have to be receptive to the idea that you might need to learn to do things differently in order to make that transition. Yeah. And it's how excited you are about that. That's yeah. a cool thing, you know, to push yourself and test yourself. You know that better than everybody. No, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're brilliant at testing yourself and pushing yourself and exploring to see what you can do. You recognize that mindset, I'm guessing. No, I do. But then also I find that if there's something I just know I'm not necessarily 
good at or interested in at all I don't know maths let's just say (laughs) it's not that I wouldn't develop it to some extent yes but I wouldn't spend all of my time on it because I I guess I'm more someone who would focus more on my strengths and strengthening my strengths I would still work on the weaknesses to some extent but I wouldn't give it all of my time well I think like a lot of leadership and management it's about prioritizing what's important and you know you're clearly doing a risk assessment there how much do I need maths really to progress myself here? Okay, I need to do some data analysis as a career consultant of, of where my students are ending up. Okay, that's the limit of what I really need to know here. And I think, you know, one of my challenges in management is just how long the to-do list is. And you'll know this as an entrepreneur, is when you create your own to-do list and you prioritize what's important, you race through it. When you think, I've really got to get to groups with maths. Mm. <laughs> do you know, what? I'll get a guy in to do that. <laughs> And I think there is something about enjoyment. I think your motivation to master something. So I'm doing some research myself on the side at the moment and I can see where the limitations of my Excel skills are. Mm. But I know that if I don't master how to do that, I will never really fully have understood what it is that I've done, which later on I think will hold me up. So I think even Mm. though I'm just dreading having to deal with it. So I suppose some aspects of leadership and management, I think, are challenging. The question is, how much do you want personally to be able to benefit? And how much do you want the people around you to be able to benefit from you doing that difficult thing well? I guess, you know, and putting your hand up and saying it's a constant learning journey. I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? Being on a constant learning journey. Yeah, no, no, I I actually agree with you because I realised that when I started out doing careers, I wasn't great at the teaching element of things. I could stand up and speak, but the teaching and structuring everything, I really found quite difficult because I just hadn't done it before okay but so I spent time learning how to do it I'd go and watch other people I'd speak to teachers that I knew and I'm better now than I was (laughs) right at the start now that's a really interesting example of walk in the room as if you know what you're doing because Mm -hmm. having watched you in the early stages of your teaching I would say the seam didn't show the join didn't show between you saying I'm maybe not where I want to be And that's exactly the principle that I'm talking about is, you know, if you really want to lead a team, I do think you have to know them. I think you have to be with people and understand what they do. And that's exactly what you've just described. To be a teacher, I needed to sit down and watch other people teach and process and reflect on doing that. I think you've just described exactly what leadership becomes. You know, Crystal, I have no doubt you'll make a great leader. You already are in our community is you observe what needs to be done. You understand the nuances of what's around you. And I think leading a team well, you know, that is a fundamental of management is knowing the people that you're working with. Who who are you leading? What's the community that you're doing? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I'm just thinking as, as we're speaking at the moment, there are people who maybe are like me, who they are I would say they're really early on in their career, but they're kind of they're in their 30s, late 20s and may not be in leadership yet. Some may be. But what would be your advice to these people about moving into leadership? What do they need to start doing on developing in, their self, in themselves? Sure. So I think having a genuine interest in other people is really important. It's back to the why and the how. You can have a really strong vision and a great passion for something. And that's really important. I went into both the job at Chester and the job at King's, largely not with the why. I was very lucky at King's. I I joined at a time when I had an opportunity to, to shape a project that's turned out to be very important in my personal professional identity. 
but the why was not the motivator it's the how so I think genuinely having an interest in other people and being interested in peer leading in peer managing in having relationships where you help other people formulate solutions I think being outward looking in that way and I think sometimes we can feel quite competitive in the workplace and I think this sort of sense of you know I I want credit for the work that I've done Um, learning to see other people's success as related to your own or as a reflection of your own input I think quite important there so I think that's something that most people in the workplace have they have an interest in each other and whether that's sort of an objective interest if you're a classic introvert like me or a shy person where you don't necessarily feel comfortable getting involved in a group situation or being part of a big discussion just even sitting and observing and chipping in one thing that's meaningful that stuff is really important. So I would say that's quite key. And, and I think actually the other thing is that decisiveness point. I read Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup, last year, which you've probably read too, Crystal. And one of the quite striking things about his approach is, I think, is the importance of just making a decision, uh, which for a naturally indecisive person like me <laughs> was quite a challenge. But I think this is an environment at the moment where there's an enormous amount of uncertainty and ambiguity. I mean, we literally don't know what's happening from one day to the next. And understanding the value of really small decisions and recognizing your own decisiveness every day is actually quite a good thing. It's very hard. We can't plan three months ahead. You know, you're part of our team where we're trying to plan what does the autumn term look like (laughs) for students coming to King's College London. And you're laughing because we think we know, but we're really not very sure and it might all change. (laughs) We've got a sense of the direction that we want to take, but we're actually taking hundreds of tiny decisions every day. And I think recognizing your own decisiveness and not thinking, gosh, you know, I've got to make a decision about a massive financial investment or the strategic direction of a whole project. No, but actually what I have done is decide on a number of small things today. And I think recognizing that in yourself, which everybody does in their job every day. Okay, those are two things that were particularly personal to me. And, you know, people talk a lot about networks and listening. It's not just listening and assuming that what other people say is good advice. It's what does that mean to me? You know, if someone said to me, Kate, you've got to present a lot all the time and really get your public persona polished, I would be running screaming from the room because that's my worst nightmare. What does that mean to me? What it means is I have to grow comfortable with how other people see me or I have to grow comfortable with the fact that I've created a piece of work that is influencing other people. The presentation part is a symptom of that. You know, it is coming to terms with the cause. So I think when you meet other people who inspire you or you hear other people, what does what they say mean to me? What would I have to do differently? Is that something that would be quite a jump for me at the moment? Or is that something actually, hey, I do that every day? Yeah. Just from listening to you, it sounds to me like you need to be someone who really likes personal development. You're willing to do it. And you need to spend more time reflecting. I think you're absolutely right about that. Isn't all of learning really about reflecting? We can cram our little heads full of stuff. My God, you know, the universe of infinite everything. And we see that all the time, don't we, at the moment with our students being really overwhelmed with the amount of information that's out there about how to survive the current employment market. Stopping and allowing yourself time. I think that's a really great point, Crystal allowing yourself time just to think about what does that mean what can I do with that is that to put in a box for later 
Or is that something I can do something with right now? You know, when my friend said that to me about walking into the room and, you know, looking ready to make a decision, I thought, yeah, that's something that will happen <laughs> you know, in a few months time when I know what I'm doing. And I remember in my first day at Chester, sitting at the back of the room, we had a big training meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and memorizing the names of the backs of the heads of everybody in front of me. Wow. Because I thought, gosh, you know, I need to know when that person stands up in it, I need to know who they are. And I was sitting there with my little crib sheet, writing them all down over and over again so that I would be ready so that those people immediately thought, she knows who I am. And I thought that because I had always reflected on times when people hadn't known who I was in a team. I'd worked part-time quite a lot and sometimes people didn't know. And that was fine with me. I didn't mind that people didn't know who I was, but I didn't want someone in my team to feel like that. So that was a reflection that had been really, really important to me. So I think you're absolutely right about that. You do have to really want to develop yourself you have to want to go on a journey. It's a yeah. really good point. Yeah, thank you. I'm very insightful. <laughs> you are very insightful. And you know what? That's a really great point is everybody has insights. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are, old in my case, or experienced you are. You know, I've only been a manager for five years. I feel like I've crammed in about 40 years, frankly. I'm, my hair's completely white in places. But you just made a really excellent point, which is everybody has insights. Everybody reflects. Everybody's got ideas. Everybody is a born leader or manager in the making if they want to assemble the pieces in that way. And some people never will. You know, that was me. Really did not want to use all my insights and reflection to become a manager for quite a long time, (laughs) let's be honest. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you did because, you know, you've led us through some very challenging times um, I've what, been with you for, what, two and a half years now? Yes, and yeah, yes. there's been a lot of change, but you've handled it really well from what I've seen anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I think there's a really good point there about there are times when you want to look like a swan. You want to look like you're gliding over the surface and you do not want people to see that your feet are paddling like crazy under the water. Mm. You know, there are times when you want people to feel like that. And I'm really grateful. I'm really lucky in the team. People are generous with their feedback to each other and to me. So thank you. I want to acknowledge your compliment there. But also to acknowledge there are times when you do not want people to see that that was actually really difficult. And there are other times, as I said earlier, when you actually want to put your hand up and say, folks, you need to know this is actually quite challenging at the moment. And I am doing my best and I might get some stuff wrong. Because Mm. it makes you feel like a human being. And I think that that can be quite important sometimes. Yeah. And I also think it builds trust because I think just again, based on what I've seen anyway, even if you don't know, and it's not obvious <laughs> to me anyway, you come up with a solution, even if there's something that you haven't got all of the information on, you'll say, okay, this is what I know so far. As soon as I know, then I'll let you know. And for me, I can trust that, yes, you're going to go and find out whatever it is. So that's really evident to me. I think that you've said so many important and valuable things today that remind me of why I think our dynamic works well in our team. And, you know, as the leader of that team, I will take a little bit of credit for that. But I think it's recognizing that everybody's giving you solutions all the time. You made the point earlier about, you know, a leader sort of, it's almost a sort of self-isolating position, ironically, in this context, is that you're slightly apart from everybody. But actually, I think a good leader is constantly aware of all the things that other people might be thinking and is instinctively drawing on what would Crystal do? What would Andrew do? You know, what would Jay do? You know, you're thinking about 
if you know your team even slightly well, you're drawing on their ideas about what the solution would be. Even if they're not directly contributing to that, you're thinking, what would the impact be of this thing on that person and the priorities that I think they have right now? So I think actually a, a good leader has created a team culture where it's obvious to them what the impacts of things would be on the people in their team. Mm. And so I think that is something I've worked quite hard to do. You know, when I first joined Chester and again, when I first joined Kings and I would do this, I think in any other role is I would sit down with every single person in the team for an hour. I want to know who you are. How can I possibly lead you if I don't know who you are and what you want, what you're looking for and what you think is going on here? And I learned more in that first, it was what, a week and a half's worth literally of meetings, about 50 people in the team. I learned so much and that has sustained me. You know, I keep obviously going back to those conversations and having new ones, but that has really sustained me in being, I hope, a a good leader of a team because I feel that I know people. So treating everyone like a human being. <laughs> well, I'm just, as an individual, you know. And as an individual. Well, it's a funny one, isn't it? There's no I in team, but actually there's a lot of eyes right throughout the team. And if you don't know all of those eyes and you don't recognize everybody as an individual in some way, then you're not going to get a best fit solution, I guess. I'm not sure if I'm making it sound like fun or not. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> management it's great fun (laughs) no it really is no it really is great fun yeah it's a real privilege my god it's what a privilege to have the opportunity to do that just incredible what an honor and I think that that has nicely brought our discussion to an end Kate thank you so much for your time for the wisdom for the jokes (laughs) if you can find a nugget of wisdom in there you've done incredibly well but Crystal let me just throw that back to you thank you for doing so much to give a lot of people their voice you know it that you will make a great leader and manager when that door opens for you because you're really good at doing that and you know you need to take some credit for that and your podcast does that either directly by giving people a chance to come and talk or when they listen to you, they're going to be inspired to go out and find their voice. And I think that's an amazing thing. So thank you. Thank you very much, Kate. So just before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Social media, any services you have, any projects? Absolutely. So um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I don't tend to connect with people I don't know on LinkedIn because I get lots of, asked for lots of recommendations, but do say hi. But you can always find me on Twitter. My handle is career ampersand. So the squiggly and sign, career ampersand. So do get in touch with me on Twitter because I would love to learn from you. Great. Thanks, Kate. Brilliant. Great to talk to you, Crystal. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Now, don't forget to like, subscribe and share for more inspiring content.